0: Hey, if you've got your Bibles, we, are, as Jeff said, we are in John 9 this morning. Um, several months ago, we began a journey going through the Gospel of John, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we are not afraid to take on the tough and difficult passages of Scripture. Uh, we don't just read part of Scripture. We read all of Scripture. And so um, uh, we are in John 9 this morning. And as you're turning there, um, some of you might recall... A guy by the name of Art Linkletter. Does that name sound familiar to any of you? Boy, that's a blast from the past, right? Art Linkletter. If you don't know that name, Art Linkletter was on TV about a thousand years ago. Uh, and he did this really winsome, uh, cute uh, show um, called Kids Say the Darndest Things. And, uh, you know, you'd watch the show and these kids would come up with these little quips and, uh, stories and, and one-liners. And you're just like, Oh, that's so cute. And that's so sweet. And, and kids do say the darndest things. And I think part of it is because they're just so honest, right? They just kind of say what they're thinking. And, uh, so what, you know, the thing is, uh, kids don't just say the darndest things. Kids also pray the darndest things. And, and maybe, uh, you've, uh, had some of these prayers with your own kids uh, I, I, went, I ran across a couple of prayers this week from some kids and little girl by the name of joyce one of her prayers to god was uh, dear god thank you for my little brother but i prayed for a puppy right i mean how's that for an honest prayer another little boy uh prayed a prayer it goes something like this dear god Could you stick in another holiday between Christmas and Easter? Not much going on there right now. I really want something to look forward to, and it's hard for me to wait. You know, we hear these prayers, and we're just like, they're just so honest. And they make us feel good. But kids grow up, and they become adults, and they continue to pray prayers. And their prayers get a little bit more, I'll just say, existential, they get a little bit more real in terms of the difficulties, the challenges of life. And as we get older and older, we start asking questions about why does evil exist? Why does suffering exist? A couple of years ago, uh, the Barna Institute, a research organization, did a study with Americans and asked them, hey, what's the, you know, the question at the top of your mind? And year after year, what Barna Research discovered is the number one questions uh, Americans ask over and over and over is, God, why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there so much suffering? And furthermore, why do you allow it to happen, God? Why do you allow evil to happen in the world? Why do you allow suffering to happen in the world? Where are you at, God? I mean, how does it even happen? That 19 fourth graders are killed in a classroom with a couple teachers. Where's God in the midst of that? And these are the kind of questions that we've been asking this week, right? And next week we'll see some other evil in the world and we'll be asking, where's God in the midst of so much evil and suffering in the world? Well, these kind of questions, they've been asked for a long, long time in the schools of theology. Theology. And this particular type of question, where is God in the midst of evil and suffering, it actually has its own category in theology. It's called theodicy. And it's asking and, and just kind of pondering that question over and over and over. Where is God in the midst of evil and suffering? And if you've read the book of Job, you know exactly what this is all about. And the struggles and the hardship. And this is exactly the story, the point of the story that we're going to look at this morning about a man born blind. Jesus is walking along, sees this guy, and the theological conversation breaks out. What is going on, Jesus? Why is this man suffering? So let us pray as we prepare uh, to read John 9 this morning. Lord, we do thank you uh, for an opportunity to gather together this morning in your sanctuary, to enjoy the beauty of outdoors, to be in fellowship with one another, to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion, to confess our sin to you, God, to worship you, and to open your word and reflect on what you might have to say to us today. And so, God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. John 9, here we go, beginning in verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man uh, blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now notice, as they're walking along, Jesus notices the blind man. The blind man does not notice Jesus. He's blind, right? So he's just doing what blind people do is he's, he's sitting at the temple or or near the temple. He's begging. He's looking for money. And so Jesus walks along and Jesus sees him. And I want to just kind of put a bookmark in that just statement there for a moment, because there's a great theological truth in this is that Jesus sees you first. Sometimes we think that we go looking for Jesus. But over and over, what we read throughout Scripture is that Jesus comes and finds us. And once he finds us, he comes after us. And maybe we turn our backs on him, but he seeks us out and he finds us again. So in this story, Jesus comes, he's walking along, and he sees this man. Romans 3, the Apostle Paul says it this way, No one, no one seeks after God. We have all turned towards sin. And I think it's important for us to just be reminded. Even though you came to church this morning, that great reminder that God comes to us first, God meets us first, God pursues us. You're blind. You showed up this morning blind. And God comes to us and he notices you. And then the disciples ask this question Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents? And I think it's interesting. That the disciples look at this blind man, frankly, like how we see evil and suffering in the world. It's a theological issue. As a, a philosophical debate. Notice they didn't see the man and all of a sudden have compassion on him. Treat him as a human being for who he was. But they're like, oh, they're a specimen. Let's talk about that guy. And so when it comes to these ideas, this theodicy of evil suffering in the world. And there's a time to talk about it theologically and to debate it and philosophically. Why does evil happen in the world? Why is there so much suffering? I get it. There's a time for that. But I think a more important question for you and for me is what are we doing about it? When you and I see evil and suffering in the world, we can debate it all day long. But what are we doing about it? How are we responding to it. And the disciples approach this man who's born blind philosophically, theologically, as a conversation. And this is how Jesus responds. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the disciples say, okay, Jesus, is it A or B? Which is it, him did he, did, did he sin or did his parents sin? Why was he born blind? And Jesus says, no, it's not A or B, it's actually category C. And again, I want to just kind of pause there for a moment and remind us that oftentimes when we see things going on in the world or we're experiencing things, we look to God or we pray to God and say, God, is it this or this? And God oftentimes comes to it back to us and says, no, you're, you're completely off. It's not A or B, it's actually C. And so I want to encourage us to be humble and to be thinking about the ways in which we just kind of put God in a box and say, God, we know it's either this or this. And God says, no, it's actually something else. So I want to talk about suffering and evil for just a moment this morning. Why does God allow suffering and evil in the world? Because this is the question on the table. The first thing I want to just kind of throw out there is that uh, God allows suffering and evil to to equip you so that when you experience suffering in your own life, you are equipped to help others. This is actually what gives you your credentials. This was what actually uh, gives you street credibility to talk to someone else. So you go up to someone else who is going through suffering or hardship, some kind of difficulty. And if you haven't suffered, you got nothing to say. And this is one of the ways in which God has equipped you to be able to talk to other people in their own suffering. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul uh, says um, in 2 Corinthians. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any troubles with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So what Paul is saying is, you're suffering, you're struggling, and I've given you comfort, and now take the comfort in the ways in which I've blessed you to help others. So it equips us so that we can be a blessing to other people. The second reason why I think God uh, invites or allows suffering in our lives is to make us stronger, to help us out. Now, most of us, when suffering or struggle comes along, our, our immediate reaction is, this is awesome. Now I can go minister to other people. But James, the disciple of Jesus, he wrote a book in the New Testament. He begins his book by saying, consider it pure joy or consider it all joy that in your suffering... You experience faith, and when you have faith, it gives you perseverance to carry on. So it makes us stronger as we go through life. The third reason is to restrain us. That's what suffering does, is it restrains us. We see these things in our lives. and reminds us we probably shouldn't do that. King David wrote this in Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Suffering holds us back. It restrains us. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Pain plants a flag of truth in the fortress of a rebel soul. Pain plants a flag of truth in the fortress of a rebel soul. So when you experience pain, it's that great reminder to to be restrained, to be held back. So when pain and suffering and evil come your way, I want to encourage you to think about those things not happening to you, but they are happening for you so that you can grow in your relationship with God and minister to others. Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, it's interesting how Jesus performs this healing, I think, because as he sees this man, he could have just waved his hands and said, be healed. Now you can see he could have just snapped his fingers and said, this blind man can now see, but he doesn't do that. He goes over in a very personal way. He makes mud on the ground and then he touches the man and he heals him. And you might be thinking, well, that sounds kind of gross, right? did not that kind of gross the guy out? I don't think it did. I mean, first of all, he didn't see it coming, right? All of a sudden, somebody's wiping mud on his face. And there's all sorts of ideas about why did Jesus make mud from the ground, the dirt, put it on the guy's eyes. That's just kind of weird and gross, right? We don't know. As I read this text and I hear about Jesus you know, touching the dirt, the sand, and making mud, my mind goes to Genesis when God was creating the world, when Jesus was there, and God made mankind, men and women, out of the dust of the ground. And I can't just help wonder if, if Jesus is doing what Jesus always did, just creating something out of nothing, bringing healing in life. And so that's what he's doing here. But I want us to just not miss this idea of touch and how important it is for us to be touching one another. I mean, a a shake of the hand, a a hand on the arm of someone or giving someone a hug, it's so important. And I think one of the things that um, has really hurt us as a nation, as a world, as a community, is throughout the pandemic, we just have not experienced so much human touch and i just want to encourage us and reinvite us to touch one another just even if it's a handshake or a hand on the arm it's so important this human touch because this is how jesus communicated with people and healed them he treated them as human beings and he often did it with personal touch verse 8 His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I could see where is this man they asked him i don't know he said so they come to the man or the man goes to the neighbors and they're having this conversation and their first question is how did this happen isn't that interesting how did this happen four times in this story people are going to ask the question how did it happen it's not the it's not a very good question because the guy keeps repeating the same thing over and over and over. A better question, I think, rather than we... And we want to know how, right? We're Americans. We're, we're people that want to know how things happen. But a better question, I think, for this man and for us in all of our lives is, who made this happen? Because when you understand the who, the how makes more sense. And no matter how many times this guy's gonna tell people how it happened, nobody's ever satisfied. So we gotta pay attention to the who. And when we understand the when we truly understand the who, then the how makes a whole lot more sense. One other thing uh, in verse twelve, where is this man? They ask. He says, I don't know. You hear that? I don't know. This guy has just been healed. And people start coming to him and asking him questions. He's like, I don't know. I love that response. I don't know. And you should too. Because as Christ followers, the words, I don't know, it's okay for us to say that. Sometimes we think we've got to defend Jesus. We've got to defend the Bible. We've got to defend uh, Christianity. and, And those are good things for sure. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes people are going to ask you questions, especially as it relates to theodicy, evil, and suffering in the world. Sometimes the best answer we can give is what the blind man gives, is I don't know, because it's an honest answer. And I use this all the time. And I've been in ministry uh, for quite a few years. And when people ask me questions, sometimes I know the answers, but sometimes I'm just like, I don't know. That's a great question. I think you should file that one away. I think you should look it up. I think you should study it yourself. I will tell you, I have a very thick uh, metaphorical file folder filled with questions I have about the problems, the issues, the struggles I've had in my own life. And I want to just encourage you, if you've got questions and you don't know the answer and you've, you've talked to some people, write it down, just make that file folders, have your own file folder and, and maybe even want to title it, things I want to know when I get to heaven. Many of these questions that uh, I've had through life and maybe you've discovered as well is that over time you start to get some answers. In the immediate, it's not always obvious what the answers are. But as you talk to other people, as you have more life experience, it's like, oh, now I understand why. And, I mean, full disclosure, truthfully, there are some things that we are just not going to know in this life. Some things we're not going to know in this world. And I I think about this, that when I get to heaven, I'm going to show up with my file folder. Questions for you, God. Let's talk, right? I mean, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just like, God, I, I got questions. I got a lot of questions about my life and other people's lives in this world, especially as it relates to evil and suffering. Let's talk, God. And I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to lay my file folder uh, down on the table. I'm going to see the face of Jesus. And I think it's going to go something like this. Ah, who cares? Who cares? I don't need to know anymore. Because I think when we're in the presence of Jesus, when we get to heaven, all those questions, all those burdens, all that stuff in us, it is just like, oh, it's just going to melt away. That's what I think is going to happen. That's just me. I don't know is a good answer sometimes when you truly do not know. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received sight. He put mud on my eyes and the man replied and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What did you say about him? It was he. Uh, it was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, He is a prophet. Now interestingly, the first time they say to the guy, Hey, who did this? How did this happen? He describes Jesus. He said, Well, it's was a guy by the name of Jesus. And this is what he did. Now, when he's asked again, How did this happen? He says he was a prophet. So first he was just a man, and now he's a prophet. Do you hear how this guy's faith is growing? He's learning and discovering more about Jesus. First he's just a guy. Now all of a sudden he's a prophet. And he learns and grows in his faith because he's speaking uh, about this incident to someone else, his testimony to someone else. Which again, I just I, I wanna I think it's really important for us to pay attention to to how these things work. The more we talk about our faith, even if you don't have the answers, the more we grow in our faith. See, isn't it interesting how this guy doesn't have much knowledge? He has no theological degree, uh, probably no education. He knows so little about Jesus, but yet he speaks his testimony. He speaks about his experience with Jesus Christ. And as he does, he starts growing in his own knowledge of who Jesus is. Uh, Let's see. Verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now that he can now see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah would be thrown out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. Now notice, when Jesus has an, uh, the blind man has an encounter with Jesus, he's just very matter-of-fact. Hey, this is what happened. He's not afraid of the Pharisees. Because he had this encounter with Jesus. And then he goes and tells the neighbor, hey, this is what happens. He just boldly and courageously uh, tells them what happened. But then the the Pharisees don't like the answer, so they go to the parents. They're like, how did this happen, parents? Come on. Is this really your son? And notice the parents' reaction is very different than the blind man's reaction. It says that they were afraid. They were afraid. The blind man wasn't afraid, but his parents were afraid of the opinions of people in this world. I think the lesson for us, and just that little piece right there, is it's really important for each one of us to have a first-hand encounter with Jesus Christ. Some of you, I know you've got parents, uh, grandparents, uh, who are really faithful some of you've got friends who are, are really faithful and, and can read scripture. Some of you know people, maybe siblings or somebody in your family is like, man, that person really knows the Bible. And they really walk with Jesus closely. That's a second hand relationship with Jesus. And where do second hand relationships with Jesus lead? To fear. So I'm glad you've got wonderful, faithful people around you. But you need a first-hand encounter with Jesus Christ. This, I know, is what we as parents were trying to do over and over. You parents, you get it. You're walking with Jesus. Your kids need to have their own genuine encounter with Jesus. Nobody gets to heaven riding on coattails. You know that, right? We all go. It's a single-file line. That's how we go to heaven. Single file, not as a family, not as a group, not with your buddies, single file. And when you are having a secondhand encounter experience with Jesus, you'll probably experience fear like his parents did. And so Jesus is inviting you this morning to have a firsthand encounter with him. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind, Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? See, they keep asking, what did they do? How did this happen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? You hear how he's getting more and more courageous and bold? His parents are afraid. He's like, oh, you want to follow him too? I mean, it's just all this smack talk. He's just, oh, he's, just, he's filled with faith. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but for as this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is Remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opens my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this, they um, they, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they did exactly what the parents feared they would do. Then they threw him out of the temple. And his testimony gets bolder and bolder. And he's not afraid at all. And he's getting frustrated and irritated. And he's just like, hey, what's your problem? How could he not be from God? I was blind and now I can see. He just leans into his testimony. He leans into his own story. He says, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. You probably hear these words. And you're like, oh, that sounds familiar. guy by the name of John Newton. As he was reading this passage, he's like, that resonates with me. John Newton, of course, was a slave trader, living in a world of an evil system, practicing in a world of evil, of slavery, and then he experienced Jesus firsthand, and he gave up the slave trade, and he worked for the rest of his life to abolish the slave trade. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's this guy's testimony. That was John Newton's testimony. I was blind, but now I see. And this is the powerful thing about a testimony. Nobody can refute your testimony. People can argue with you about the Bible all day long. They can argue with about Jesus all day long. They can argue uh, with you about Christianity all day long. They can argue about theodicy, this idea of evil and suffering in the world. What they cannot do is argue with you about your story, your testimony. This is why testimony is so powerful, and this is why I think it's so important for each one of us to have a testimony, to be clear about our testimony, so that we can articulate our testimony, so that when you're in a conversation with someone, they're like, yeah, but what about this? And you can say, I don't know. But I was blind, and now I can see. I don't know. But once I didn't have faith, and now I do. I don't know. I can't explain all those things. But what I can explain is that somehow, some way, Jesus changed me. He opened my eyes so that I could actually see who he is as the Son of God. That's why we need to cling to our testimony, to really embrace our testimony, especially when our testimony includes pain and suffering. You're like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't like that part. But I think it's in that that very part of your testimony that's so important for us to actually be talking about. I think about that blind man. I mean, 2,000 years ago in this story that really happened in this event, do you think this man is in heaven right now thinking to himself, man, I am so bummed that God allowed me to be blind for all those years. I mean, I spent a couple decades blind. I was a beggar. I was a castaway. I was a throwaway. Why did God allow that to happen? Heck no. That guy is not miffed about being blind through his life. He's like, I was blind and now I can see for 2,000 years. They're still telling my story. God used my pain, my suffering, my struggle so that people in 2022 out at Faith Lutheran Church could be blessed. That's awesome. He's celebrating that God used his pain and his suffering Right now, I believe it. So we need to embrace our story, our testimony. It's the most powerful thing we got to point to the witness of Jesus Christ. God can use your story to bless other people. But unless you take a little bit of time to kind of articulate it, maybe for yourself first, or share it with someone else, that's, what, that's what's most important, is you've got something clear that you can share with someone. I don't know all the answers to the Bible, But I'm blind, I was blind, but now I see. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, isn't it interesting, Jesus goes looking for him again. The the story begins, Jesus finds him. Later on in the story, Jesus finds him again. Again, these are little details that we should not pass over. This is how Jesus operates. He goes looking for you and looking for you and looking for you, and he just keeps pursuing you. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I might believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one uh, speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were uh, with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, uh, your guilt remains. John the disciple, who wrote the Gospel of John, is making such a clear juxtaposition. He couldn't make it any clearer to us, right? I mean, there are two groups of people here there's the blind man who cannot see, he's helpless. He doesn't even go looking for Jesus. He's just there. He's a beggar. And then there's another group of people religious people, church people, the Pharisees. They can see. And yet they are the ones who are blind. I mean, do you hear this juxtaposition? I mean, John just lays it out there so beautifully. So we have to ask ourselves this morning who are you in the story? Who are you? Are you a Pharisee who believes that by your knowledge and by your works, by what you do, by your behavior, that you are in favor with God? Is that you? Or are you a blind man? Are you a beggar? Are you one who just receives what Jesus has offered to you? Who are you this morning? A Pharisee or a blind man? I think this is a great question that we need to be asking ourselves every single day of our lives. Because for those of us who study Scripture and hopefully... And this is why we practice confession every single week when we come in here. We gather together, we begin our worship time together just in that posture of submission, that posture of humility that Jeff led us through this morning. God, I'm a beggar. I'm a sinner. I'm a broken person. I need you in my life. I need you to heal me. I need you to restore me. I need you to set me free. Because healing in our lives, it doesn't just come once. We need to be healed every day. So I want to invite you to not just confess on Sunday morning. This is a great time to confess together as a body of Christ. But I want to invite you in your daily prayer time just to receive that posture of humility. God, I am sinner. I am broken. I need your grace today. I know stuff about the Bible I know stuff about you. I know stuff about the church. But I'm the blind man. I need you to do what I cannot do for myself. One last thing I want to lift out of this story that I think is relevant for our lives today. The man worshiped Jesus. And when he did, he was cast out of the temple. He was ostracized. He was called names. People banished him. He was set apart. What you need to know this morning is to follow Jesus, to worship Jesus is going to cost you something. And maybe you feel like you've been thrown out of society. Maybe you feel like I'm tired of being called a hater. Maybe you feel like uh, others have cast you aside because of your faith in Jesus. I want you to hear this morning, you're in good company. Because this is what happens when we worship Jesus. The world does not understand. And they get angry with us and they call us names. This is just what it means to be a follower of Jesus, folks. Get used to it. The world is never going to love us, but Jesus will. God will. About a 100 years ago, there was a, a young Scottish preacher, a guy by the name of Alexander McLaren, just came out of seminary. He was looking for a new church. And so he was interviewing this one particular church that he really wanted to go to and be a pastor at, and he went through a series of interviews and after the series of interviews, the congregation said, nah, we'll pass. He was rejected. And it broke his heart. It made him really sad. So in those days, rather than pick up his phone and call his mom and dad, he sent a telegram. He sent a wire, just one word, rejected. He wrote his dad, rejected. And pretty soon, his dad telegraphed him back these words, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven. And this is what it means to be a Christ follower even today. We are rejected on earth, but accepted in heaven. And so this morning, as we get ready to receive Holy Communion, you might be feeling rejected, you might be feeling hurt and pain and struggle. You might be in a bad place this morning emotionally. And what I want you to hear is wherever you're at, whatever pain you're struggling with this morning, you are accepted at the table of Jesus Christ. A table that welcomes all people to receive healing and restoration in their lives. That's the promise for you this morning. Just come and receive the goodness and the faithfulness of Jesus in this meal. And when you do, God promises to open your eyes and to bring healing and restoration to your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are indeed a God who sees us first as you saw the blind man first. That you touch us, God that you're personal, that you come to us and you meet us on our terms, and that, God, you bring healing and restoration to all who are open to receiving that gift from you. God, we're all blind. We come into this world blind, and every day we wake up blind. And every day, God, we cry out to you that we are beggars, sinners in need of your saving grace. And so as we began our worship today, praying, open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Make that our prayer every single day of our lives. Open our eyes that we might see you. And God, as we travel from this place this morning, may our pain, our suffering, our hurt be our testimony to others in the world. Because there's a lot of blindness in this world, God. There's a lot of people that don't know you. So never make us, God, complacent or weary of sharing our story with you. Because like the blind man, you can use our testimony, our story too, to bring light and hope to others. Lord, in your mercy...